This special extended edition of Monocle on Sunday was first broadcast live from Saint Moritz on the 26th of February 2023 on Monocle 24. Good morning from Samaritz. You're listening to a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. We are live at Nomad, the art fair. We're going to be here for the next uh, two hours, special edition of the program, uh, running uh, one hour longer. So you can set your clocks by that. On today's show, we'll explore the dialogue between art, architecture and design with a group of names. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll be talking uh, to the founder, George Apache, in a moment. Uh, also, gallerists like Larkin Edmund will be joining us as well. And I'm very happy to say uh, that I have my colleague, uh, our executive editor, uh, and also, of course, uh, the woman who is in charge of the overall culture beat, extending from, of course, uh, the world of visual arts, uh, all the way to K-pop as well. Good morning, Chiara Rimella. A very good morning to you. I'm very happy to have made it up to the slopes to paint a bit of a picture to our listeners of where we are We're in this fantastic foyer. Stone columns, vaulted ceiling, uh, an incredible view out to the frozen lake and the peaks beyond. It's a very frosty morning here in Samaritz. I'm wearing an extra layer this morning. I've come up from London, so I've come prepared. Um, but I'm very happy that we're cosy here inside and there's a very cosy atmosphere upstairs in the different booths of the galleries and I'm very, very keen to get talking more about the specific pieces and gallerists that we've caught our eye. Excellent. Well, of course, we'll be doing that in a moment. We should start by saying it's the 26th of February, 2023, live from Samaritz. This is Monocle on Sunday. And uh, just uh, as we uh, as we kick off and, and move into things, uh, we should say a very good morning to also uh, a bit of a, this is a bit of a live program uh, this morning in the sense that we actually do have uh, an assembled audience, which is a little bit different. Of course, when we do this program out of Zurich, uh, occasionally uh, we have, uh, of course, people at Dufostrasse in Zurich sort of mingling in uh, and looking. And if they're there this morning, uh, good morning. Uh, but here, as you said, uh, Chiara, uh, we've got a great audience, a uh, uh, small one, quite quiet right now because things don't kick off uh, for probably another 53 minutes uh, when the doors are thrown open. Yes, and I think, I mean, being here yesterday, it was really buzzing, you know, because this place is a hotel, you get the sense of a warren of rooms and of exploration. So people, when they go upstairs, are really kind of farting away between the different rooms. It's a really cozy atmosphere. I think that it gives people a chance to bump into each other, bump into gallerists. It definitely inspires conversations. And there was a fire roaring in the, the fireplace yesterday, so I hope that that's going to come on sometime soon today Yeah, you well. talked about those sort of the coziness. Hopefully the coziness returns. Um, but maybe also we should have a cozy welcome uh, as well this morning uh, for Giorgio Pace. He is uh, he's many things, uh, of course, to the community and the Engadine up here, but he's also one of the co-founders, of course, of uh, Nomad. Good morning, buongiorno. Good morning. Very nice to have Good you morning. here. Thank you. Uh, Giorgio, maybe just take us back because uh, you have people who are listening to this program um, all over the world uh, this morning or uh, evening or afternoon, wherever they may be. Set the tone for us. Why, no, well, first maybe, why the Engadine? Uh, because many could sort of say that the world of art fairs, uh, maybe year, year on year now, uh, it's almost becoming a little bit of, of overload. But you decided to do something up in a very remote part of Europe, a very well-heeled part of Europe. What's the background? 
<clears throat> well, I was in New York, and I left New York after 20 years, and I decided to move here in Dengadin to start a curatorial uh, experiences, and I did for a few years. And why here? Because I think there is an amazing community of collectors and people that appreciate and understand art and design and architecture. So this was my curatorial experience where before. And then I started Nomad in 2017, but actually not in St. Morris, but in Monaco. And that was the first destination. But of course, because I live here and I knew the people that are here, they could be absolutely interested in this kind of experience, we decided to come to St. Morris. And this is the sixth edition. Well, one, one of the things that um, I've been observing being in charge of the culture section of Monocle is that there is a big conversation going on about the relevance of art fairs globally, whether people are more drawn to large affairs and flying across the world to go to these large events, or whether the rise of the kind of more niche, more local event is something that's here to stay. Obviously, we are here. It's quite a small affair. What is your perspective on this? I think collectors likes more and more this small uh, gather and this small exclusive, um, as I said, experience. I mean, as you know, we don't do nomad in uh, in a tent or in a convention center. We always looking carefully what's the next destination, and we always looking for uh, an interesting historical building, um, iconic building. Sometimes in the past we used houses that were not open to the public. Of course, this year we're doing an hotel which is not open yet but soon will open so this is what uh, differentiates us from other art fairs and just when we look at the context of of this particular space and as you said it has moved around is your desire for it to have a permanent home would you like to think okay georgia doesn't have to sort of wake up every day uh, and then sort of worry about where the next edition is going to be especially this is you know edition number six does it need a sense of permanence because clearly there is a following here well, Nomad, unfortunately, cannot have a permanent uh, place. Uh, this is since the beginning. Of course, we try to keep at least the same destination like St. Moritz. We try to move in different locations like we did this year. Of course, this year will be another destination. But for the other city, we try to investigate if we can go to Oslo or China or Korea or Middle East. Of course, a lot to go one day to Aspen. So, you know, of course, we're looking around. It's no easy to find the right location and to reorganize ourselves in a different part of the world but that's our goal one of the things that I think is also defining of Nomad is, well, this connection of ar- with architecture also points to this, I guess, wider remit of what you have on display here. There is this connection between what's design, what's art, whether the two meet in the middle. Um, what is behind your commitment to g- blurring the boundaries between these disciplines? I think people that uh, buy art today, they're also very interested in, uh, in design. So the two things go very well together. But as you can see here, we also offer um, special projects, uh, which is the third section of Nomad. So we gave um, a, a chance to collectors, to foundations, uh, to, uh, to show what uh, is connected with the world of Nomad. And this is also working very well. I mean, I receive a lot of uh, compliments of how we curate the whole edition this year. George, just before we went on air, uh, I was asking uh, how much longer up here. uh, And, uh, of course, you're going to go away uh, for a stretch. 
maybe talk about also what happens, of course, uh, in, in the summertime uh, as well. So there was, there was, of course, last year the, the premiere of yeah. a Mediterranean yeah. edition. Yeah, we did the first edition in Capri in this amazing location called the Certosa, which is an old, one of the oldest monasteries in Italy. Uh, of course, we do again in July, and we're very happy to do it. Um, so I'm preparing already for Capri. And are the collectors who come to the different editions of Nomad also nomadic like you? Do they follow you around or do you meet a different crowd in no, different places? I would places? say 20-30% are following us, but then each destination has a different kind of uh, crowd. In, in Capri we have a lot of Americans. I would say 60%, 60-70% are Americans because um, happens on the 4th of July weekend. So, you know, that's, uh, that's why we do also in Capri to attract those uh, and, new customers. And Giorgio, just audiences, um, and when we think about it, as you said, of course, it's, you're doing this up here because, of course, this is a world of, of, of really quite exceptional uh, collectors um, in, in the region. But if we look at, at this year, and I think probably people are listening are probably sort of curious also to see, thinking about nomads, the tribes that are sort of traveling around up here. I mean, you know, last year there was, I heard quite a bit of Portuguese. We had Brazilians here. Uh, what's, what's sort of the, the mood and uh, maybe the, the makeup of the room this year? I think it's always a lot of Swiss, Germans, Italians, few Americans, few uh, Turks, few, uh, few of course, Lebanese. I mean, we had very kind of covered all the international uh, uh, audiences, I would say. Wonderful. And with regards to what else there is in the valley, you mentioned that a curatorial project um, attracted you here in the first instance. Do you think that the art makeup of the valley in general is com- is going from strength to strength? Do you think that I think the programming of the valley? Is I think also it's behind? growing. It's growing. I mean, imagine how many galleries we have now in in the valley, from St. Maurice to Tsuo to Champ, uh, plus the museum in Souche. I think in the recent years, really, this cultural um, interest uh, grow. In immensely yes and just before we go this is going to maybe be a bit of a theme that we're going to discuss across uh, the two hours uh, today Giorgio also the metabolism of a community like Samaritz and also the, the affiliated uh, villages around it do you, do you see a shift because as we were saying of course it's a cold day today there's not a lot of snow uh, there's this constant discussion and maybe quite urgently about about the reinvention of these places uh, what do you think has to happen because you're on one side yes you're a curator but you're you're also you're you're an entrepreneur you're 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 of course contributing culturally to this region what shifts would you like to see in terms of enabling what you're doing day in and day out I think you're right. St. Moritz um, attracts not only people that are interested in sport. Uh, here you have millions of activities that you can do. So, and the culture, I think, is growing. I, I already saw this is the reason I moved here. When I did my experiences all over the, the Engadine, I see a lot of people wanted to come. Unfortunately, whatever I did was very restricted for a certain number of people, but I see the high interest. And still today, they ask me, why don't you why don't go back and do these things? Problem is, I have, I mean, 24 hours, I cannot really do everything. But uh, yes, I think they, they also, the St. Maurice Tourism Office, they're investigating what to do to make all the visitors in St. Maurice uh, have other... For example, last August there was the first film festival, for example. So, you know, they try to enlarge the activities uh, during all year round, yeah. 
George Apache uh, from uh, Nomad, of course, one of the co-founders. Uh, wonderful uh, to have you here. It's uh, just 1016 uh, here in St. Moritz, so we're going to go away for a very short break. We're back after this. Monocle's fresh out-of-the-blocks March issue asks if the automotive industry is heading in the right direction with an in-depth dive into the future of electric vehicles, plus the potholes along the way. Elsewhere in the issue, we offer a common-sense manifesto for the future of business that's more bulls and bears than it is unicorns and fancy valuations. Plus, architect Ivan Ivanov's new Aussie vernacular, a crafty new inn in Fukuoka, and a review of Europe's best new factories for fashion brands looking to make it at home. Buy the issue today or do the right thing and subscribe so you never miss a beat. Head to monocle.com slash subscribe for more. You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Berlay, also Chiara Rimella uh, is here. Chiara, just, uh, uh, it was great talking to Giorgio, but you were talking about sort of, you know, ferreting around uh, all of the floors uh, above here. Uh, just maybe set the scene a little bit more because you were talking, it's probably hard for people to picture this hotel, which is uh, in a state of, well, yeah, it's semi-finished, at least where, where we are, uh, but then it's rather not upstairs at the same time. I think it gives a real edge to proceedings here because when you come up to the street, there really is like a wraparound, you know, building site type construction outside. So you're really not quite sure whether you've got to the right place. And then you come in and the the building opens into this grand foyer, which immediately makes you understand that, yes, you are in the right place. But then you can head downstairs, you can head upstairs in these kind of exposed concrete, some cables still hanging out of the walls. So definitely, and some little um, notes it's written in Italian, you know, must close this, <laughs> which is chiudere here, please. Um, and then upstairs in the gallery area, I guess, um, that's where the rooms are going to be and the booths have been created and built in to create that sort of mock room effect. But even then, you can see that the, the cables are still present, but they've been wrapped nicely in little canvas bags. Um, there's a very interesting show of some sketches by Cristo, which I think is quite funny because you've got the wraparound trees um, outside the Fondazione Bayela uh, in Basel, and then you've got the little wrapped cables outside, upstairs. So it feels like a little bit of a, I don't know, uh, by chance contraposition. But I think it creates this both refined and, you know, a bit raw approach to, to what's going on here. And it creates a really stimulating atmosphere that is a bit unpredictable. And I think that perhaps it's, it's a good thing that things were in quite done just at the right minute. And you touched on a little bit earlier just uh, almost that very casual nature uh, that you can, of course, have gallery owners uh, with rather significant pieces of, of, of art, which uh, you know, might be potentially above where the bedside table will be, uh, etc. And, uh, and, and one of them, of course, uh, is joining us uh, now, uh, Larkin Erdman, uh, who's, of course, uh, been around these microphones uh, before, uh, but uh, Zurich-based uh, gallery, also always you know, on the move, seems to be you know, all over the world 
world constantly. Uh, he's also a neighbor, we should add listeners uh, as, as well, um, and makes a fine contribution uh, to uh, our, our bar. Uh, Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Uh, Lark, when we were chatting um, yesterday, it was, it was just interesting. You were talking about maybe uh, just the sort of the unique sort of, you know, very fine nature of this, uh, because you've, you know, you've really sort of been out in the world everywhere since we've moved back to having uh, physical fairs again. What makes this edition, well, not this edition, the Nomad brand different from, let's say, you know, venturing off to Singapore or heading off to, to Hong Kong or, or across the Atlantic? Well, it's interesting because everybody said during COVID that the fair is over and we're not going to go anywhere anymore. We're not going to need the format anymore. It's just kind of passe. And actually, quite the contrary has happened. We're even doing more fairs. More fairs are popping up. And I think it has a lot to do with locality. So what me as a dealer um, wants from a fair is I want the sort of the context of the local. And a fair like Nomad provides that in an excellent way because we are in a very specific town in a very specific area. And we get access to this amazing um, sort of pool of people, and we get, you know, we go right to the core. And just, to, and just, to, well, I just want to pick up on, on that. This, you know, the, the scale of this as well. There's a real intimacy too. Um, do you think that's a, in a way, a tough balance? Because if, if I'm coming as as a collector or the curious, I want a maybe a, a broader buffet or or as an entry point. Uh, there is also something unique about just that that notion of intimacy here. I think it has all to do with um, discovery, and I think it has to do with uh, curiosity and people, you know, finding out. For example, this uh, this hotel, everybody just wants to check it out and see what it's like. And the same thing uh, goes for the booths. Everybody just wants to be, you know, a discoverer and 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 check out what what these people are bringing and have to offer. And that is really much better served in a place like this if you compare it to a big art fair hall with 350 exhibitors that are maybe showing very similar artworks or very similar um, hangs and everything. It really makes a place like this really stand out. Well, we talked about whether the buffet is very large or very small, but how do you go about, I guess, creating the menu of what's upstairs? What's the starter? What's the main course? What's the dessert in your booth? Well, this time around, um, I actually decided to do sort of the, the inverse of what most people do. Normally, if you do a smaller fair, you bring lesser important things or you bring things that you think would fit um, you know, into a, a chalet or, or lower prices or things like this. I actually turned it around and I really thought I'd bring some blockbusters because that um, would, would change the, the discourse a bit. Well, I have to say, I was a little bit shocked when I was ambling through your booth, and then there it was, in a little corner, just a casual Picasso. <laughs> I mean, um, can you please tell us more about this work, and why you decided to bring it here, and what it means to you? The Picasso is special to me, because I've had it for a long time. It's, I bought it a couple of years ago. It's, it's, it's been hanging in, on uh, Dufourstrasse um, uh, for a long time, and for, for now I thought this was, would be the perfect format to show something like a little jewel like that. And just and tell us about the particular piece. What's the, what's the story behind this uh, one? The story is, um, it's, a, it's a, a portrait or a, a drawing of a, of a woman sort of in a landscape. And I, um, I was lucky enough to acquire it a, a couple of years ago. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been really special to me. Is it rude to ask the price? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think it's actually very fairly priced. It's 350,000 uh, Swiss francs. 
And what about the rest of the booth that you're showing upstairs? Um, we have done interviews with you for Monocle as well, and I know that you're a big fan of Max Bill. Um, please, can you tell us what goes into your programming here in the booth, but also in your gallery as a whole? Um, well, I've tr I try to be um, as you know, high quality as I can uh, by choosing a select artist that I, that I really love. Um, so it, it has all, a lot to do with my own passion. Max Bill is interesting because it's the first painting I ever bought when I was 20 years old. I bought a, this painting at auction and I, and I wish I still own it today. Unfortunately, I don't um, have it anymore. But it's all about the sense of what I really, really love. And I think when I speak to collectors and, and, and other dealers, and I think they really notice how it's my passion um, that, that really comes through in, in curating the program. I, I want to talk about maybe upcoming uh, shows that you have uh, in, in Zurich, but before that, uh, there are some, let's I say, remnants or components of other things that you did over the past year that are also on, on display here, um, Man Ray uh, and, and others. Uh, so some other sort of snippets as you take us around uh, your rooms. Um, yeah, Man Ray is a, is, a, is a great example because Man Ray is, uh, just uh, happens to be now the most expensive photographer ever, uh, ever sold. It won just uh, a, a, um, a photograph just sold for $10 million, which is a big, um, exciting moment for everybody. What people don't know is that he was a great draftsman and a great painter as well. So we really try to show his work, aside from photography, um, in a sort of unique way, which has, which has um, clicked really well with the collectors here. Uh, and we sold a couple of those, so we're really happy about that. Well, I'd like to take a little step back because, as Tyler mentioned, you have been on the road quite a lot recently. Um, can you please tell us, you know, I saw that you went to Singapore. What's behind the choices of places where you go to? Why Singapore? Why the other stop-offs on your fair calendar? How do you choose? Yeah, I think I do, I'm doing it a little bit too much, I would say. I have a little <laughs> eight-month-old uh, baby at home, so I, I get... There's this pulled back to, to Zurich now and again, but um, I think it's important uh, as, a, as a dealer, uh, as myself, to go out in the world, venture out, show what you're doing, because people are very receptive around the world to, to, to you know, ideas like this. And I think uh, Singapore was a great um, possibility to really, really venture out um, and see Asia and show, you know, co Asian collectors there what what we, what we do here uh, back in Europe. And it was quite interesting, for example, Max Bill, is such a is such a name that they really they knew the artist they were interested they were like oh my god we've never seen a Max Bill painting in, in Singapore so that discourse and that that um, that um, context is really interesting to me and maybe just give us a sense of uh, of markets who's buying uh, and you know, maybe not specifically uh, on your booth but it would maybe give us a bit of an indication because you know obviously you know where the art market moves it's also a bit of a comment on on the state of the world. Um, Economy. You know, just before you went on, of course, Georgia was talking about just the sheer amount of Americans who are in Capri and whether they're buying or not is, is something else. Uh, but when you speak to, uh, yeah, colleagues and other people, um, how is the, how's the market shaking out right now? I'm very impressed about the market, how solid it is. And I really don't have a great answer for you because at the same time, I see huge uncertainties on the markets. I see people being, you know, not really sure where to put their money. And market, the art market has proven to be extremely stable. I mean, we have uh, new collectors uh, uh, coming in constantly. We see really a, a broad depth of the market that people are interested in. Uh, all different levels, so from 10,000 to 100,000 to millions. It's really something that I, I feel um, has gotten really gone global. 
Um, speaking of global, I just wanted to ask you um, what is on your calendar, both yourself and your travels? Where are they going to take you? And then also maybe back home, what's shaping up on the calendar in Zurich? Um, the calendar in Zurich is, is, is going to be interesting this year. We're prepping for a big exhibition by Andy Warhol, which opens uh, in, uh, in May, and then a really big show by Marcel Duchamp in, uh, in September. So those are kind of the blockbusters this year in Zurich. Uh, Fair-wise, we are also uh, pretty busy this year. We're going to head to to the Armory Fair in September. We are um, going to Freeze Masters in October. We are going to Miami in December. So it's... um it's definitely a full schedule. And also, I mean, you'll be in Basel as well? Absolutely. Um, and just, just on that sort of Basel versus sort of Zurich proximity, I mean, you see right now as well, so many things have sort of been, been rein, reinvented. Does, does it make sense for you to be in Basel, 52-minute train ride away? Uh, everyone has to almost fly into to Zurich in many ways. Um, yeah, and for, for you to do your thing on your own patch. Um, the, the, the context of Zurich and, and Basel, I think, is extremely interesting. And now the Zurich crowd is taking advantage of it because they've created the Zurich Art Weekend that happens just before Basel. They've really realized that a lot of collectors like to stay in the hotels in Zurich because they've got more um, availability. I think the, the, the proximity is something that is, is, is wonderful because that hour train ride really is quite wonderful. I used to always stay in Basel. Now I prefer to stay in Zurich and, and, and take the train in the morning. Larkin Erdman, uh, thank you very, very much for that. Uh, it's just uh, coming up to 10.30 uh, here in St. Moritz, uh, 9.30 uh, in the morning uh, back in London. I'm here with Chiara Rabella. We're going to move into uh, the uh, second half hour uh, of this very special edition uh, of Monocle on Sunday. Of course, uh, much more to come up uh, and also be talking a little bit about uh, the state of tourism uh, in a moment uh, as well. But it's uh, just 10.30. Emma Nelson uh, is back in London with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says he's giving it everything to strike a new post-Brexit deal with the European Union on Northern Ireland's trade arrangements. A deal could be announced tomorrow. The French President Emmanuel Macron is to visit China in April. Monsieur Macron's announcement comes two days after China called for urgent peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. It's thought that Monsieur Macron's visit will be an attempt to convince Beijing to pressurise Vladimir Putin to end the war in Ukraine. The vote count has begun in Nigeria in what's being described as the closest run election in decades. Turnout appears to be high with voting marred by long delays at polling stations. And an artist and collector has offered to buy the remains of a Jeff Koons sculpture which was knocked over and shattered at a gallery in Miami. The woman who knocked over the balloon dog sculpture, valued at $42,000, has chosen to remain anonymous. But Stephen Gamson, the artist, says he says he finds value in it even when it's broken. To me, he says... It's a story. It makes the art even more interesting. Those are the headlines here in London. Back to you, Tyler, in St. Moritz. Thanks very much, uh, Emma. Uh, any sense of uh, alpine envy right now? Uh, don't even get me started. It's lovely because you're in this, clearly in a, in a rather beautiful big room. You can sort of hear an echo and the, and the echo is actually rather charming. Um, you get the impression that there's a rather, there's a site of sort of, d- despite the, the building works that you've talked about, it all sounds rather grandiose and elegant. I'm assuming that you are perched on something rather wonderful in a, in a rather wonderful room. Well, actually, we're not because, as oh, you know, sorry. when we do radio on the continent, you you stand. So neither Kiara nor I are perched. We we are we are, we are standing uh, at uh, what, what are probably some some bar tables, aren't we, Kiara? But but elegant ones, nevertheless. Okay, so propping up an elegant bar table in the middle of the hotel. Um, I must have. What are the guests making of your arrival? Are they, do they think you're an installation? 
Well, that, that's a good question because there is there is a bar installation uh, here as well, so it could could easily be uh, confused. But we'll be sort of scampering out of here uh, in in a little under uh, an hour and a half from now. Yeah, just make yeah, sure that no one make... tries to sell you. We'll we'll stand very very still and see what happens, and then at some point we'll dash into um, a, a bit of a dance. Tyler and I, you know, we can hold a dance floor together. So I think that we have a good good go at a performance uh, show. And Emma, just uh, just before yes. we go, as you said, it's it's this wonderful room, vaulted ceilings, uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, to our listeners, not sounding uh, too echoey. Uh, hopefully giving a bit of a of a sense of place. But we'll be uh, checking back in with you uh, at the top of the hour, eleven o'clock. Uh, 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 Central European time. Uh, we'll be chatting to you then, uh, Emma. I'm very happy to say uh, that uh, we are joined uh, by the, the journalist uh, Marina Fuchs, who's uh, made the journey down from Zurz uh, this morning, uh, just down the valley. And we were we were talking just before we went on air uh, about this traffic jam. I mean, it's incredible what's happening because we should say that it's it's not just Nomad. We're here talking about Nomad, uh, but of course, if I look behind us, uh, there is also uh, yeah. Yeah, a festival on wheels uh, on on the ice as well. So you've got you've had this convergence uh, of all kinds of people uh, being drawn here. But uh, yeah, you had a you. I mean, it's hard to sort of think about a traffic jam on a Saturday in the Engadine. But you had this on the way here. Yeah, I had this. Uh, normally, uh, it takes me about twenty minutes to go from Suez to Samoritz, and yesterday it took me one hour thirty minutes. And then I have to find a parking. Yeah, on, on, on top of all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a nightmare. I think like that, it never happened before. But it's also it's it's, it's an interesting sign, though, is and this is what uh, it, it's it's wonderful to, to talk to you because, of course, you're a journalist. You're writing for the likes of the of the Schweiz, which is the the newspaper of record uh, for for this part of uh, of, of Switzerland uh, as as well. And there is there's sort of there's a tension right now uh, between. Almost the, this, the, the success that you have uh, up, you know, up here, because you know we can remember many years where the Engadine was a little bit sleepy. It was overtaken. It, it was overtaken by other resorts, etc. And now there is this boom. And of course, as we know, uh, in Switzerland, uh, you know, sometimes when things become a little bit too successful, uh, people get a bit sort of grumpy about it uh, as, as mm-hmm. well. But I think right now that's not the main thing uh, you have to think about. I think everybody likes the, uh, the landscape and all the beautiful events like Nomad uh, and the cars that you already talked about and all the galleries. And I think people are crazy about making holiday after the long time of the pandemia. And they now uh, are, have reinvented uh, their own countries and I think a lot of Swiss people, when you look at the cars at the plates, they come. A lot of people come from Switzerland. Yeah, which is which is quite something. Let, let's maybe just put it into into context. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does nomad mean for you, or and what is it meant for? Not just the immediate region, the Engadine, but also when we think about Graubünden and also for brand Switzerland uh, as mm-hmm. well. I would say it's very important, especially because it's such an intimate exclusive and high-quality event, and uh, it brings people to the valley that usually come, but others travel to the valley just to visit Nomad, and I think it's important, as Georgia already said, for the local collectors, and I think for me it's very important to have a connection between the locals and this event. Because if, if an event is not uh, connected uh, with the valley, it doesn't work well. 
and that's why I'm writing, I love to write for a, a regional newspaper because I reach the clients living here around and have a look at this uh, exhibition. Um, speaking of you working for a regional paper, of course, your focus is culture. But I'm interested to find out more about what's on your patch. You know, when uh, you check the emails in the morning, mm -hmm. what is on the agenda? And when you go to the news meeting with the rest of the paper, what really is the beat here? What are the big stories shaping um, the agenda? I think culture is very, very much important. Uh, Let's speak about the museum in Sush. There's an extremely beautiful and important exhibition about a Swiss uh, artist. She's called Hannah Filliger. She's known, but I think she's not that well known. She should be rediscovered. And uh, the founder of this museum, she's very much interested in female artists, Which, uh, who have to be rediscovered. And she showed um, uh, Heidi Bucher in the last exhibition. And I think uh, Hannah Filiger is very, very much interesting because she did a lot of uh, photos and Polaroids. And, yeah, I think you should go to this exhibition. Well, just when you talk about Zush, and, and maybe it's... I'm going to give you a bit of an assignment now mm -hmm. to paint a picture of this because... Yes, if, if you've traveled uh, to, to, and certainly if you follow art and you follow, of course, the development of wonderful new institutions, it's incredible what is there. And, and this has now become a little bit of just shorthand uh, for what is an incredible collection of architecture, restoration, and, and collection as well. But paint a picture for our listeners. What, what is this? What, what, what has been created there? Well, that was a former brewery, and it was a ruin, and Grashina Kulchik, the founder, uh, uh, was, is involved uh, in her home country, Poland, in the brewery business, and one day she was traveling from her home uh, place in, in Schlin, down the, uh, the valley close to Austria, and she saw this ruin, and she uh, asked for some information what that is, and generally she heard it was a monastery and it was a brewery, and she thought that would be the perfect place for a museum, and then she was looking for an architect, and she was in Zurich and I think worked with the von Barter Gallery, which is showing beautiful artwork here Uh, at Nomad, and um, Jasper Schmiedlin, a young architect based in Zurich but with uh, roots here in the valley, did some uh, architecture for Fombata and they recommended it to Grashina and that's why she asked uh, him to do this business with a colleague called Lukas Fermi and I think they did a great job. He was all the time uh, around in Zouche, and well, it's worldwide known, and they got a lot of prizes for the architecture, and I think it's perfect, a combination between old and new, um, that attracts a lot of people. I think it's a museum with the most guests in Switzerland. If I'm correct. Yeah, we were we were lucky enough to do a story on the Museo also in our ah. uh, winter newspaper, the Monocle Alpina. And one of the things that I think is very um, relevant in terms of the approach of the museum is that clearly it's a little bit off the beaten track, and it's definitely trying to get involved with the community as well and the valley, and and trying to attract people not just from far away but also from very close by. And um, I'm looking here at your paper yesterday's edition. 
edition. Mm -hmm. And what strikes me is that, fortunately, it's actually on print. It's on paper. Uh -huh. um, when you talk about this connection with the local community, yes. what does having this tangible product in your hands do to making that connection with the community? You know, we'd cover a lot of um, media stories in Monocle as well, and I think it's always very interesting how the regional papers have actually come out really strong out of the pandemic and out of the current situation with information that I think it gives a, a real important role to mm -hmm. publications that can maintain that connection with the community. Mm -hmm. What's your take on it? Well, I think online is very important. And if, if I have only a little time, I use the iPhone to get informed. But I think when I go to a restaurant or I have breakfast at home, I love to read the newspaper and I have to have the newspaper in hand. And I think that's not only me. And when you look for something online, you have to look for it. But if you go to a restaurant, you see a newspaper, you didn't intend to read it, but you find something you wouldn't have found if you're all the time online. And I think that's very good. Hey, just tell us, when we look ahead uh, from Nomad, uh, of course, the, the season starts to wind down a little bit uh, in the Engadine, and of course then um, yeah, late spring, everything starts to reopen again. So if you look across the rest of, of 2023, Mm -hmm. uh, what else is, is on the cultural calendar? What else are you looking at uh, that uh, is, is intriguing to you uh, across the summer and also autumn season into, ne mm -hmm. into next winter? Well, in summer, there's a new art film festival that started last year. It is run by um, uh, Raboli Pansera, who was the director of the House and Wirt Gallery here in St. Moritz, and now he's in Asia in a museum. And, well, uh, the start was fabulous, It's a very high-level art film festival. They don't show any blockbusters, but really films that you have to concentrate on. But there was a huge crowd. I was really impressed, uh, which knows a lot about films, uh, who looked, I think it lasted three days, and I, will, I think it will take place in August. And, and it will be very interesting. And when you mention that, it's... Uh, it Well, Kiara, your sort of connection with sort of the newspaper, what that means in terms of community. There's also a lot of uh, excitement uh, as well because in St. Moritz, we're going to see the return of a cinema uh, as well, which is going to be quite something because I think people were very sad uh, a few years ago when uh, the Scala <laughs> when the Scala closed, which was you know, and everyone had such an incredible connection uh, to this, and now we have. Uh, I mean, quite a, quite a famous uh, Swiss uh, industrialist uh, who is now behind this project. Uh, I was able to have a bit of a, a tour uh, as well. But your, your view on also this, the connection between also having a local cinema uh, you know, somewhere quite remote mm -hmm. and also the relationship to the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a cinema is extremely important and everybody is waiting that they reopen it I have no idea when it will be I, I, heard, said it's I heard June so I mean I know it was supposed to be March uh -huh. but uh, I think there's a lot of but, but the interesting thing was I, I saw the cinema and it's just it's, it's wonderful uh, to, to just see boxes of, of just incredible uh, cinema seats in you know in Burgundy you know yeah, coming out velvet. of the past, velvet again <laughs> yes, and, it was so beautiful but I, w I was sort of expecting they were going to build what was going to be maybe just a very fancy home cinema up here, but this is a proper, proper cinema returning, and, and you think about the cultural impact, mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's incredible how something which is, has this great recollection for all of us in popular culture uh, but can be so simple yet so exciting as well mm 
I think uh, cinema is so important because after the pandemia, everybody was at home. And now I think it's a, no, a new importance. Everybody wants to go outside. And I think uh, uh, watching a movie in a cinema is a different experience than staying at home on the sofa and eating chips. No, for sure. What? And I think if, uh, if you've come up here and you want to be making the most of your time here and, and a, a cinema that delivers on that promise without necessarily being a tiny little room, because I think that model of being very, very niche is also in a way kind of past now. People just want the collective experience. It's not just a focus aspect. It's also the fact that you want to be surrounded by lots That's of people and you want to f connect with the emotions that mm -hmm. other people are feeling. So I think that there's an emotive connection there as well. Yeah. Um, finally, for me, I just wanted to ask you something because speaking of the fact that we have your um, article in front of us, uh -huh. obviously it's your review of the event. Um, can you please give us a bit of a summary of what your, your view said and what your opinion on the event here at Nomad was in, mm -hmm. the, in the piece? I think it's a, a great event. It's very important. And thanks to Giorgio, uh, we have it here. And I think it was very interesting to be this year in this landmark hotel done by a very famous uh, architect called Hartmann. And this was a, a whole architect family. I have a beautiful book here. They did a lot of hotels and buildings here in the valley. I think without the, these Hartmanns, uh, the Engadin would not be the same. We're going, really to, amazing. we're going to have to uh, leave it there. Uh, the cultural journalist uh, and commentator, uh, Marina Fuchs, wonderful uh, to have you here on Thank the program. You. It's uh, just gone at uh, 10.45 uh, here in uh, St. Moritz. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking, uh, Chiara, a little bit about the world of, of tourism uh, and, and not just uh, as it applies to, to St. Moritz, but, uh, but also maybe... Yeah, high alpine. No matter no matter where you are uh, in the world, of course, uh, you're. Uh, yeah, I mean you're Piemontese. I mean you're sort of you're familiar uh, with mountainscapes uh, as well. But your your impressions up here, uh, this versus traveling to the other side of, of the border, and maybe what makes uh, yeah, it's like more it's a, a little bit uh, or maybe more than a little bit unique. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because I grew up in Turin in Italy and our closest alpine landscape is the one that I guess looks out to France and that's where we always used to go and it's, it's one of the first few times that I actually go to the mountain in Switzerland because for me, you know, growing up it, it was always easier to go on that side and I think that it's actually remarkably different. You know, people think of the alpine region as a catch-all but actually there are very distinct differences between the, the different areas. And I think that what I've noticed here is that there is that real ingrained aspect of culture that is also year-round, you know, Hauser and Worth, San Moritz, do get in touch with me year-round to tell me we have this show coming up. And I think that they're very active also bringing the valley together. They're doing projects here and there. They're, they're extending beyond the remit of the white cube. Um, what I think that a lot of the mountain villages in Italy are facing right now is a very serious issue of depopulation. This is happening really all around the country, um, particularly in mountain regions, and there have been a number of governmental and you know, initiatives in terms of trying to incentivize people going there. But ultimately what you need are services, things that make you want to stay there, uh, good internet that allows you to work from there, um, 
things that invite you to, to stay a bit longer than just a long weekend. Um, and so I think that those kind of initiatives are the ones that we need to be talking about. And, and uh, I hope that we'll get a chance to do that. We'll do that. We'll be unpacking that and uh, much, much more. We're going to take a very short break right now. Monocle on Sunday's back right after this. Join Monocle 24 every day and let the briefing guide and inspire you through uncertain times, always keeping you ahead of the curve. Hear razor-sharp insights and opinion from a lineup of brilliant minds every day. It's devolving to a point where we're at odds with each other instead of letting our political leaders do the dirty work, so to speak. Catch up with Monocle's bureau and correspondents around the world. Heavyweight coverage, no white noise, and always delivered with a smile. I think the grey areas lead to a lot of sort of awkward conversations, and there's nothing the English dislike more than awkward conversations. Every weekday at 1300 CET, midday in London and 7am in New York City. Keep your appointment with The Briefing, weekdays on Monocle 24. You're back with Monocle on Sunday here in St. Moritz with me, Tyler Berlay, also Chiara Ramella uh, is also here. We've been talking about uh, a variety of things as it, uh, of course, pertains uh, not just to the Nomad Festival. We're uh, broadcasting this morning uh, from the soon-to-be-finished uh, Grace Hotel. Chiara, uh, uh, it uh, it's kind of amazing when uh, you go through this space because we're, we're in what will be the, the lobby, the, the foyer of the property. Um, I've been fascinated to see on the upper floors, though, where galleries are occupying some are sort of what might be just yep, standard rooms, larger suites. Uh, as you said uh, at the start of the program, a lot of this is is in a state of you know not quite uh, finished yet, uh, and uh, and and some I would say exhibitors have been quite reserved. They've said, okay, we just we only want to sort of stay in sort of the the privacy. Well, not the privacy, maybe sort of the the, the public space of the bedroom. Uh, and then others have been a bit more adventurous and also chosen to use the the, the rather large bathroom suites as well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the, the, the initiatives that gallerists have taken here. If you go just behind us, there is a little uh, staircase that leads downstairs to almost what feels like a bunker. <laughs> and that's the space of Nilfa Gallery. You know, obviously they have a huge space in Milan, a very ambitious set of programs around Italy. Uh, we were lucky enough to visit what they did at the uh, Nicelli Airport in Lido in Venice. You know, very ambitious. They know how to fill a big room, but here they've chosen to go for a very compact, really hidden away little space so that you feel like you're discovering as you're going through and you don't want to miss any of these kind of surprises that await down a little tiny corridor. No, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit later and, and ask you, Chiara, <laughs> what, what has stood out uh, for you. Uh, but uh, before we get there, uh, I want to uh, invite uh, well, and certainly welcome uh, Mariana Jackic uh, to uh, uh, the mic uh, here at The Grace. Uh, Mariana is has a, a really sort of a fascinating task because you are the brand manager and I should say someone that we, we've been collaborating with for, for a very long time, but you're the brand manager for St. Moritz. And I think what's fascinating about this is, be, you know, when, and we've, certainly we've talked about it before, but you're managing a luxury brand even as, as a destination, which is, which is quite a responsibility. And good morning, by the way. Yeah, good morning. Um, yeah, it is a huge responsibility. So I grew up here, actually, and uh, I don't come from a... I don't have a tourism background. I have a brand management background, and five years ago I was 
Uh, I received this role and it was a huge responsibility because I also wanted to give something back to my town and um, yeah, now doing the job for um, yeah more, more than five years and uh, I think in the last five years the the city and the vibe around the city has um, changed a lot. Just, just maybe just let's rewind for a moment, <laughs> uh, not uh, specifically this program, but rewind sort of, take us on a, a trip down maybe memory lane. You know, you growing up as a teenager here, also venturing out, uh, you know, beyond uh, as well, Mariana. What, um, how have you seen sort of the ebbs and flows of, of tourism and, 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 also, and also locals here as well? So I grew up here in the 90s, so this was the starting point. I came from Croatia when, when I was 12, and I saw Samaritz as a very um, glamour, very nice place. Um, then I, I, I went away, and when I was coming back in 2015, beginning of the 2000, uh, 2000, it was a completely other crowd and it has changed a lot. The brand desirability or the destination desirability was not um, the same anymore. The, um, the season was much um, yeah, lower or it was much shorter than, than it uh, used to be. And this surprised me as well. And um, I think Samaritz was always, um, when we go back into the really early stages, it was a crazy town, and uh, we were able to really enable things here in town. And then I think there was a period where we were a little bit too narrow-minded and maybe closed to the outside world. Well, what I will say is that coming here from someone who's used to different kinds of mountains, um, you know, obviously we, we know of lots of tourism boards that work on campaigns looking outwards but what I can notice here on the ground is a great sense of uh, self-consciousness and self-confidence and the fact that you perceive the brands when you're on the streets as well which is not something that's very common I think in a lot of different destinations on the Alpine Arc you know you walk down the street here you've got the sun smiling at you pretty much every 10 steps of the way the branding the calligraphy is on signs, you can see it there. Can you please tell us about how important it was to bring it to life in a properly physical sense as well? Yeah, I think it's very important that local people are proud about the brand. And I think we managed that it was not me, it was that the brand was registered in the 30s and then protected in the 80s. And what, what, was, what, what happened there is really that the local people were proud of being part of the, let's say, brand journey. And I think this is the success uh, point and why it was then easy also to implement it on, on the local uh, ground. Um, but not, it's not easy. So it's, the, let's say the luxury brand, brand, uh, brand management in, is very different in a tourism destination than it is... Uh, for example, in a bank or in a luxury brand, because I do not own the brand. I do own the registered trade, trademark, but actually the whole guest experience is not in my hands. So it's very important that we talk to the local partners when they develop new things, when they do their branding, and when they do the product development in general, that this is, um, this is aligned 
with with our brand strategy and our vision for the future of the town. Well, and, and, and I guess what is exciting, but it's also a, a challenge uh, as well, is that, yeah, it's not like you're, this is a handbag collection uh, or this is, uh, yeah, an automobile brand where something is fixed. Uh, this is dynamic every second of the day. You know, is it going to be busy next weekend? You have, of course, you know, the importance of events like this and many other things. But that also uh, is... Yeah, I mean, it presents, I would say, also a very sort of exciting opportunity because it's not fixed, it's not static, it's always moving, uh, but you're always having to come up with sort of the encore every day. Yes, so every day is different, um, and I think this is really the exciting part about my job and, and the job of my colleagues and my team members, um, and also uh, of our partners. So every guest is different, and we need to, to just be aware of, of it and, and uh, knowledge it and, and service the, give the best service that we can give. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just fun. Every, every, we need also to be one step ahead before we say, okay, now everything is going fine. We have a full a city. We, were, we have a very nice crowd, so we're already thinking about what will be in the next three to five years. Well, speaking of that, I think Tyler and I were just having a conversation about what it looks like, the future of the Alpine region. And you mentioned earlier that Samaritz has gone through a series of ebbs and flows in terms of the length of the season. Where are we now and what does the future look like? And, you know, as Tyler has mentioned a couple of times, it's a very cold day, but there isn't that much snow out there. What does that look like in terms of how the season can evolve, how the place can evolve? Can it become a, a fully 365 days type of place? Um, yeah, I think we the alpine, the high uh, altitude alpine regions will, let's see, at least in the next 10 to 20 years, we will be, um, I would say, more visited than, than the other uh, lower uh, located alpine regions. This is the uh, this is a fact. And with, with Corona, we had um, a huge shift in behavior or in guest behavior. So the guests are staying longer. Um, they come more often. They can work from here or use this opportunity uh, very often. Um, there is a value shift as well going on. And I think considering all these trends and all these um, uh, yeah, facts about our guests. Um, I hope and I think that Samaritz has the capacity to to um, be a all year round destination. Maybe in May all the locals will leave for a little bit of holiday. But uh, um, yeah, we see, uh, and there is a DNA as well in the Engadin and in Samaritz where we have a cultural. Um, background um, where we have uh, yeah, the famous architects and, and uh, a lot of artists and um, um, a lot of people, good people coming uh, before here. So we will build on that. We will look back um, what was our DNA and align that and develop and trying now already to develop um, um, whole year season, especially the autumn has such a potential uh, in the valley and we will try to also onboard our partners to open their restaurants and open the hotels also during um, yeah, October or November. And uh, just in 30 seconds or less, uh, Mariana, uh, just to tell us uh, what's to look forward to uh, in, in the summer, quickly, summer program. 
Yeah, so we are um, focusing in summer on really on the well-being of our guests, and we will go. We will have entertaining events like Festival de Jazz, um, but we will try to uh, build up the autumn season uh, with some special uh, events and uh, focusing on art and culture. And we hope that we will have a lot of guests coming in the not only in the full season but also in um, in autumn and uh, yeah. Very good. <laughs> Marianne Jagic, uh, brand manager for Sangwar. It's very, very uh, lovely uh, having you with us here uh, at uh, Nomad, where it's uh, just coming up to uh, 11 o'clock uh, here in Sangwar. So I'm here with my colleague, uh, Chiara Rimella. But uh, back in London, we have uh, Emma Nelson with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says he's giving it everything to strike a new post-Brexit deal with the European Union on Northern Ireland's trade agreements. A deal could be announced as early as tomorrow. The French President Emmanuel Macron is to visit China in April. Monsieur Macron's announcements come two days after China called for urgent peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. The vote count has begun in Nigeria, what's being described as the closest run election in decades. Turnout appears to be high, but there were also reports of ballot boxes being stolen and armed attacks at polling stations. Swiss Tourism says its recovery to pre-pandemic levels should be achieved this year before rising again in 2024 and 2025. Overnight stays in Switzerland increased 29% in 2022 to just below the levels of 2019 as restrictions were lifted and a marketing campaign featuring the tennis legend Roger Federer paid off. And a tailor in the southwest of England has hit back at instructions by the BBC for its on-air talent to dress down, saying wearing a suit is aspirational. Presenters at the BBC have been encouraged to look more sweaty and dirty while out in the field for authenticity. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler. Um, I'm assuming neat as a pin in St Moritz. Right. Emma, thank you very much for that. And uh, we'll try to be neat as a pin on a Sunday morning. But I just want to talk about this notion of, of presentation. And as, as you said, uh, th- this idea of correspondence, whoever may be looking sort of a bit sweaty. And I, I have noticed watching the BBC, Chiara, you might have a, a thought or, or two on this as well. No ties anymore as well. Uh, and and I, I, was, I think I saw Ben Brown or somebody uh, the other day uh, re- reading the news without a necktie, somewhat rumpled shirt. And I, I, from a presence point of view, uh, it doesn't really stack up. Well, personally, I just don't know whether the fix to feeling more uh, accessible to people and, and more, uh, you know, actually connecting with people comes via just simply toning down your, your attire. You know, I feel like if there is a crisis in terms of reaching a new audience, then do you fix it by dressing uh, like an 18-year-old? I don't know, because I think that that also, in a way, takes away your authority. You know, it takes away your credibility. You have to be who you are, but find a, a common meeting ground rather than necessarily reaching for something that you're not, and then looking less credible as a result. Emma, just from a presence point of view, because of course you are occasionally in front of a camera as, uh, from time to time uh, as well, what's your take on this uh, notion of dressing down to deliver the news? Well, I, I, it's... Hmm. So there is... 
it's it's difficult it's very difficult for women because you've got to try not to be too much of a presence on air because i think a, a lot of the thing that what you never want to do when you're on air is to be more important and more noticeable than the story it's quite nice to have a bit of an ego and a boxy jacket and it also fills my wardrobe with the most astonishing block colored jackets which frankly only come out when they have to be in front of the telly but if you suddenly become the story because we've all sat at home and shouted, ye gods, what is he or she wearing? That's when it becomes a problem. But when it comes to the BBC looking sweaty and dirty, well, I don't know if you've ever been into a BBC newsroom, and I'm not being too disparaging about this, but let's say there's quite a lot of dressing down anyway. So I don't know whether a few sharp lessons from Mr Brule might keep people a little bit in check. You don't, you want to look professional, put it that way. We do. And Emma Nelson, um, thank you very much for that. Uh, We'll be checking and getting the news headlines uh, from you again in about 26 minutes' time. Uh, You are with a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday. Uh, We are in San Moritz. I'm here with my uh, colleague, uh, Chiara Rumella. Chiara is uh, an executive editor also. uh, Really, you have sort of a wide cultural beat. Uh, so, of course, you have the world of, of, of visual arts and, and graphic arts, um, and you're on very much uh, a circuit uh, as well, going to major uh, exhibitions, but it could be at a film space, but it can also be similar to what we have uh, here at, uh, at Nomad uh, as well. Uh, for listeners joining us in our second hour of the program, set this up for us. Uh, this is and maybe how this compares and contrasts, you know, this is not an art Basel that we're we're at, we're in Switzerland, uh, but uh, compared to uh, maybe what's part of your usual beat. Definitely. Well, I've been to my fair share of fairs, and frequently I will go to the ones that are unmissable on the calendar. We have to remember that those those moments have their place on the calendar because it is when everybody meets, but they are overwhelming is the only way of of describing them you know when you get to Art Basel and you've got 300 exhibitors to see everyone is really busy everyone is there it's so hard to have a conversation with gallerists let alone artists (laughs) we'll come to that Um, lots of artists don't really go to these big events they feel a bit lost if they do it's because they have a very very specific project Um, And I think that there is a place for those events because they do bring the global community together. But frequently and more often during the pandemic, what's happened is that because people had restrictions as to where they could travel, a number of new fairs were either created or really gained prominence where they could be more regional, not necessarily local, but at least regional where the restrictions would allow. And this model, which was already on the rise before uh, any of the pandemic happened, really kind of took hold of this of this space um, and where we are right now is an example of how something very curated very not necessarily niche but definitely with a defined angle can be very appealing to a very specific type of uh, audience and we are in this fantastic hotel that is under renovation not quite there yet so we are in a fantastic foyer with vaulted ceilings and stone um, columns but there is also some raw to the space, there is exposed concrete walls, there is a warren of rooms upstairs, downstairs where um, galleries are exposing works in small booths that have a slightly more intimate feel than what you would get in a big tent uh, in the middle of the park or in a big messe um, somewhere on on the continent and it feels like a place where people want to chat, but people 
want you to ask them questions, which is quite extraordinary. It doesn't always happen. And it's a pleasure to be able to talk to some actual artists as well. Well, and I was going to say that because, of course, you've, you've done uh, the tour uh, around here uh, and uh, yeah, maybe set up our next two guests who are just uh, beside us uh, and uh, are part of also a very interesting uh, project and program uh, here as well, which is becoming in a way sort of quite intertwined uh, with, with Nomad. Yes, I think that it's interesting where when partners come on board to actually meaningfully create a new project um, and have an input in terms of creating something special, ad hoc for this. And um, I also am the deputy editor of Confect magazine, so it was such a joy to have um, Lola Monteschnabel in the pages of Confect as well. Um, you know, seeing her at work and then seeing her work upstairs makes complete sense when you draw the parallels between the location back at home and then the result in, in the gallery upstairs. And with Yves Scherer, um, I just really appreciate how different your practices from what we can see in the galleries, in the booth of the gallery, um, further up in, in, the, in the space. And then in, for this specific project, you went in a completely different direction, I guess. And it will be interesting to see what actually brought you to the, to the specific works that are on show in a separate room, uh, which is the Gucci Collaboration Room. And yeah, I think that we can give, uh, yeah. we can get a bit of an insight directly. And first, good morning, uh, uh, Lola and Eve. Uh, very, very nice to have you here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, maybe just take us through um, the, so the, the evolution um, of this. And again, uh, we're not in a, in a visual, we are in a visual space, but we're in, in an audio space. Uh, take our listeners uh, through uh, what, they, what they would see. Um, well, for this particular Nomad edition, I made a mural out of handmade tiles that are made in Sicily, used with... Um, clay, but also volcanic ash that comes from Etna. So when these uh, are fired, there's a kind of opalescent glow that comes, but I was painting a kind of mythology or breathing uh, a new shape into an ancient tradition. So uh, ceramics seem to be extremely popular at the moment, but I am just using this material as a... Uh, basically, my drawing is taking a body. So... I made objects also for Nilofar that are multifunctional, so vases and um, stools and a table and a bunch of different water vessels. But I used a scruffiti technique that is um, here decorating the outside of buildings where you kind of scratch into cement to bring out the light. And I tried to use some of that uh, symbolism from this region in the drawing style on these different objects that I brought here. And Lola, uh, we were privileged enough to see where you work in Sicily um, on the pages of Confect. Please, can you give our listeners a bit of an idea of what your workplace uh, looks like and also how much does the exterior influence your work? I mean, clearly the volcanic ash is quite integral to your practice, but how does your location and your surroundings come to bear onto the work? I'm very, very sensitive to sound, and I like to put movement um, in my work. So even though this is a solid material, like Fontana has movement in ceramic, um, I've tried to breathe new life into this solid material. Um, and the sea is quite in front of me. I live on the most southern tip of Sicily in Shikli. I have two uh, kilns in my house, 
and I actually go digging for the clay in different regions and driving from Bagaria to Santo Stefano di Camastra to Caltagirone. So I was fortunate enough to sit with certain masters that passed these secrets to me and during the pandemic have the time because I couldn't fly back to America where I'm from or I wouldn't be able to return to Europe to really concentrate and go into this, uh, this clay and, and then use it really as a just as a, I would a canvas or a piece of paper, but basically find new texture and form to my, my drawings. And Eve, I'd like to bring you in here uh, because I'd like to get a perspective on the work that you're showing and, and the different kinds of works that you're showing upstairs. Please, can you describe them to our listeners and then we can get into what brought you there? Of course, yeah. Uh, Lola and me, we are project, uh, part of a project here called Artist in Flux, which is a collaboration between Gucci and the Nomad Fair, which is like this year is the first destination of like a, a longer and an ongoing curatorial project that, where they collaborate on. And for this edition, they, like each of us was invited to present the work, but we are also part of like a, of some photo shoots and we travel with Gucci luggage here, so it's a little bit of a bit, bigger project where like the booth that we are talking about is now like sort of one part of it. Um, I'm presenting a sculpture um, of a little boy with a butterfly on its nose who is, um, it's, like, it's, it's actually a sculpture of me when I was a child. There's this little video of, um, of me. I have a twin sister and it's like I come in the room and she's trying to capture this balloon from the ceiling but she's a bit smaller than me so I come in like nude from like a kind of afternoon nap and then I grab the balloon so that's where the posture comes from or the pose. And then I, get, I guess the butterfly was added later just as a sort of, I mean, whatever you want to think of it, I guess. I think it's very striking how the intimacy of this work, this moment of childhood and naivety, is quite in contraposition with the other works that you're showing, which delve more into a slightly more, I guess, public aspect of life. You know, you have celebrity culture, VS, um, natural images in these um, compositions that shift depending on what perspective you look at them from. Can you tell us why you're fascinated by celebrity culture and what goes into these multi perspective works well I guess sometimes I feel like somebody once said about a show that I did in in Berlin in 2014 said you know nothing glamorous ever came from Switzerland and I kind of feel like maybe coming from Switzerland you have a certain sort of like an, uh, an interest in this or like I guess it's European interest in like an American like culture or like the entertainment industry in a way so I think coming from here that was always sort of like a, an aspirational thought of like world you know but I guess at the same time you know living in New York for like eight years now kind of changed a little bit the perspective so I think it's in a certain way I guess I'm interested in also like the mixing of these two worlds of like the personal and the public and how these like like how these work like worlds kind of how there's porous boundaries and how like social media changed this now and things and uh, with the with the images like these lenticular works that you talk about I guess there's like um, often like there's a picture of a celebrity and then there's a second picture sort of which interacts with it and sometimes it's for example a picture of myself. So it's like me looking at the other person, the other person looking back at me, it's this kind of cheeky dialogue or something and I feel like in a certain way I see for the sculpture that I talked about before with the boy with the butterfly, I feel like a similar interaction there between like, for me the butterfly is also a person so it's like this kind of little romantic, like, little romantic moment where they meet, that's sort of how I see it. Uh, Lola, maybe just tell us uh, how um, does this 
relationship with Gucci um, evolved? Because, of course, we're in a time right now when, of course, all of the major luxury groups are trying to, of course, co-opt sort of almost every part of popular culture to, to do things. So how does this play out uh, for you? Uh, is, does this become a, you know, a, a, lo- a long-running show? Maybe hopefully or not. Um, but uh, how, how does it um, sort of move on from, from here onwards uh, with, with Gucci? I think it ends today after this funk, uh, this uh, podcast. But uh, I was very grateful that they would uh, ship an extremely heavy work, which was actually in Marseille at the, the Corbusier Museum there. And uh, this, this piece weighs about 200 kilos. So they're mounted to an aluminum backing. And the fact that I didn't have to deal with the trouble of carrying this thing and installing it because it took about eight men to put it upstairs was a big gift for me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious also how um, yeah the, the coming sort of season looks for you. So we were just I think we've been chatting to everyone across the morning. Um, new projects that are coming up uh, sure. where people will be able to uh, yeah obviously uh, interact with you uh, and of course see projects yeah across uh, the balance of 23. In October I will have a show at the National Gallery in Georgia. It's a group show of women, and uh, there's a an art fair there, I think, at the same time. And then in November, I'll have a solo show in New York, so actually at my brother's gallery. So it's been many, many years that he's watched me working at home, but it took a long time for us both to find our own identities and feel comfortable working with one another. And since I've lived away for six years, this will be important for me to, to come back to my hometown. Um, so I'm working towards those two. And we should clarify, country of Georgia or state of Georgia? The country, yes. And Eve, what's the next few months looking like for you? Um, I'm going to travel to Oslo now uh, next week where I'm going to present a solo show with the gallery um, that I've also shown here at Nomad, a side of the Gucci project. And then I'm doing a few shows in the United States. I'm doing a show in New York in April with the Journal Gallery and a show in Chicago with another young gallery called Marc Leblanc. And then some, there's a few shows this year. <laughs> and, and just maybe uh, before we go... Um, We've been trying to sort of slightly sort of dissect the notion of, of a fair um, like this and the value of maybe intimacy versus, of course, you know, uh, you know, the, the sort of the all singing or all dancing uh, larger exhibition. Uh, maybe put it, put this into context for us a bit, Lolo, where, where you see this sort of fitting into uh, a cultural calendar and, and maybe the value of what you've seen here. And, and that's not to uh, make it a competition, uh, but uh, but maybe how this perhaps stands out versus what you might uh, experience elsewhere in the world. Um, I love going into these rooms and feeling as if you're in a home. I'm a bit tired of being in a white box with neon lights. So the fact that you, this is a community that Giorgio Pace and Nicholas uh, have, have created that feels like a family, actually. So that's very nice to me that you can wander through these rooms. This morning when it was empty, I was on a video call with my boyfriend, Alex Miley's son. He's the photographer that shot the photographs for this Gucci project and did our portraits. He's also a magnum photographer and a great photojournalist. Um, But his son is 14 and a great designer himself and draws all day chairs and lamps and inventions. So to be able to walk this kid through this and not be in a sterile museum and go through these rooms felt as if we were going through this labyrinth. And that is a very nice way to relate to artworks. And Eva, you made any connections? Did you strike up some conversations with people who just happened to chance by when you were there? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a long program the whole week, and I've been I've been part of the fair like last year already. So I feel like we made some connections already. But I think I'm a Swiss. I'm Swiss, so it's always nice to be back here. And there's some people that I already knew, and I've also presented work here in the area and in other places. So I feel like there's a little bit of a community that I know already. And so that, that feels really nice to kind of add to this. I wasn't here last year and just kind of like further it and deepen it. And I really have to say that, like, in a way that Nomad really, as Lola said, I can just reinstate that, like, really kind of created a community around the fair, which feels very different than an art fair where, like, I feel like everybody's sort of part of this one thing. It's not like, it feels like the galleries are less competitive. It feels much more like everybody's sort of in, is here enjoying themselves and, like, part of the art in a way. We're going to have to uh, leave it there. Uh, Lola Montes-Schnabel and uh, Eve Scherer, very uh, good to have you. Listening to Monocle on Sunday, um, I'm with Chiara Romella. We're going away for a very short break. Uh, we're back in about one minute. Stay with us. Have you got your hands on our sister magazine, Confect, yet? Well, you might also be interested in Confect Corner, our podcast accompaniment hosted by me, Sophie Grove, with Julian Tobias and Marcella Palak between London and Zurich. Join us each month for stories on travel, fashion and craft, and drinking and dining across Europe and beyond. Episode 1 is available now, where we discuss the art of scent, celebrate the sanctuary of the bathroom, and meet the designers Paula Gabez and Kazu Hugler. I'm not interested in producing many pieces of one design. I'm always interested in the person who is going to wear it. Subscribe at confectmagazine.com or wherever you download your podcasts. You're back with a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule, and also Chiara Romella. It's just gone 11.20 here in St. Moritz. We're in the lobby uh, of the Grace Hotel. This is Nomad uh, in, in full swing uh, for, the, of course, the, the balance. This is the last day uh, as well. Chiara, we've been talking about uh, a variety of topics and, and really interesting talking to, to Lola and Eve right now. Uh, and uh, I think Lola's sort of statement about what's great about being here is that you're not in a white box uh, with, uh, yeah, floor yeah, fluorescent lighting under a glare, which is the case in, of course, many art fairs. Yes, for sure. I mean, a lot of art fairs are in tents, um, and the, you know the, the level of natural light you can get in there is not quite what we have right now. We have these huge windows looking out to the mountain, a bit of frost kind of settling in, but still we're flooded with this amazing alpine kind of fresh light. The air is fantastic, and it's wonderful to be in a place that really feels like it belongs somewhere. <laughs> you know, you can immediately tell where we are at first glance you don't need to beat around it whilst you know if you saw a picture of a lot of art fairs perhaps you would really struggle to understand which one you were looking at a picture of well here there's no doubt no indeed and i think on you've, you, that sort of notion of sense of place uh you've set us up perfectly kiara uh to introduce our next guest because uh, this is a gentleman on one side of course artist uh, is certainly uh has a wonderful exhibition here but is almost a bit of a an, an ambassador I, it's not the, the case that sam it has a foreign ministry, but maybe it should. Um, and if it did, maybe Rolf Sachs should be the foreign minister. Good morning, Rolf. Very nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Great pleasure to be here. Great pleasure to be at Nomad. No, no, tell me, uh, it's, uh, we'll, we'll come to the exhibition in a moment, but I think we have the luxury of, of chatting to you right now. Uh, Samaritz, Samaritz state, state of mind. What happens in the valley stays in the valley. Mm-hmm. 
This place, your relationship with it, uh, Rolf, uh, as, of course, the, uh, the, the unofficial or official foreign minister, <laughs> set it up for us. Okay. I don't know. St. Moritz is such a unique place. And what does a place make? I mean, basically, at the end of the day, it's the people. Yeah? And here, before I speak of the people, you have this background, the scenery, which is just so unique. And the Engadin Valley, first thing what comes to mind, if you say it, is the light. Yeah, it's the freshness you were talking about. Yeah, it's this incredible, uh, beautiful air, which is so intense. And then there's, it is a place which attracts a unique set of people. And there are different reasons for that. There is a very sporty side. I'm just coming now from the Cresta Run, where the race of my father is just being run. And after this, I'm going to the Kulm Hotel, to the Sunny Bar, to do the prize giving for this race. So everybody threw themselves from the top down the mountain and zooming down to Celerina head first with 90 miles an hour. So people who do a sport like this, they're already a certain special character. They have a certain oomph, yeah, which uh, transcends them somehow through the town. In the old days, in the 1900s, I think every rider was staying at the palace. Yeah, so all these incredible hotels also uh, started and exist, like nearly nowhere in uh, the world. So now, I don't know, I was here a week, every night was different. I saw so many interesting people from all walks of light, cosmopolitan from all over the world. Rolf, you're, you're always, um, I wouldn't say on, on the case of the, of the Gemeinde, the community, but every time we talk, you, you've, you're always firing up with a new idea, something that needs to be done, a new initiative needs to be happening. Uh, you're, you're always pushing for I- improvement, uh, maybe a bit of a re-education, a, a reset, a restart. This is a place uh, you've, you've, you've really committed to. Where, where, where do you see us? Uh, you know, if, if you had to sort of say, uh, is Emirates sort of firing at 80%, 95%, 59%, where, where, how do you feel the vitality uh, feels of this place at the moment? This went away fired at 110%. It was quite a fantastic season. And, you know, I would say 15 years ago, we were a little worried. People were going to the Caribbean, to the Far East. Obviously, we're here in Switzerland. Everything becomes more and more expensive. The bloody Swiss francs, which the English, of course, are the first to complain always about. And now I think uh, St. Moritz is back like never before. And I really think that... The future of St. Moritz looks very, very bright, and uh, I very much hope that we will have a certain stronger urban touch. We will have soon a regional airport here. There are other developments which will make it possible also that one or two of the big hotels will stay open through the season. So uh, this would really invigor the whole valley. So let's zoom in a little bit now onto where we are right now. Uh, you have a fantastic space upstairs, which I really loved. It's, again, a real homage to this place. Uh, can you please give our listeners a bit of a sense of what they would be able to see if they came into your space upstairs? Okay. So I'm a mountain boy, like you have uh, perhaps uh, heard uh, before. I was uh, brought up with my grandmother, actually, two valleys down from here. And then I was in school close uh, to here where we're standing, actually. So I have, a, as an artist, I always ingrained in my thoughts and in my creativity the culture and the traditions of this uh, place. So upstairs, uh, my Alpine suite is really 
sweet relating to everything what has to do uh, you know with this valley and with the tra traditions and I can take for instance one example I have uh, a chair which is a traditional Stabellen chair I don't know how you say it in English yeah but all over the Alps you have it and so in the back normally you always had a heart cut out so in the Alps you have one absurdity that every village has a shooting club and in, in Switzerland even every village has a shooting range and that originally they were taught to shoot on the heart which hopefully is something of the past yeah but uh, obviously we have the war in Ukraine and there it's nearly a theme again and we were hoping that these days were past so I went to the different shooting clubs and asked them to shoot out the heart in the back yeah just a little bit as a homage to the tradition but also a little bit as a critique yeah to this fanatism of uh, you know shooting and target shooting uh, one, one of the pieces when you walk in i think i believe it's on the left uh, you have this cut out piece of uh, of, of of gray felt uh, of course again if you think of of a fabric that of course defines these valleys and regions it is felt it is it is felt uh, and then of course you then there's, there's a climber's axe uh, which has uh, gone into it uh, and it's, it's striking and I'm, again in the same way that you sort of set us up for the, uh, the, the bullets through the heart uh, tell us about this piece yeah it's a piece I did uh, quite a few years ago and I work a lot with felt it's a wonderful material all artists love it everybody thinks oh it's only boys who used it no I think every there are dozens and dozens of artists who used felt because it's a material which is not constructed it's freely together it's pure wool and my pickle I did with them it's the sort of you have this aggressiveness of the pickle which has everything you know uh, in it it's sort of perhaps also masculine and strong and thing and then you have the sensitive felt yeah and this sensitive skin yeah which sort of get pierced by this thing so it immediately gives you yeah. One of the things that I love about the work upstairs is that there's obviously these undertones of, you know, this aggressiveness, the violence of the shooting, but ultimately it's very funny also. There is a humour to a lot of the things that you do. I would like to ask you, what role does humour play in your life and in your work and your approach as well? I'm a really boring guy. Yeah, it looks it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that humour is unbelievably important. And it has, at the base, what is human? It's basically that you don't take yourself too serious and that you can laugh about yourself. And if you have that in life, it makes life much easier. It's actually quite simple, if you think about it. Yeah, so I always have somewhere, yeah, a little twinkle in the eye in my pieces. Uh, and Rolf, do you think that's also, and maybe we've touched on this from time to time, the role that also St. Moritz uh, can play, because there is something else that happens here. We, we were um, visiting with, a, a, or a friend is visiting at the moment from Australia, and she was sort of struck by just walking into a bar, uh, and it's almost like traveling back in time, because it's like, oh, it's like people are smoking in here. And there, there, there are different things that also happen within a valley context as well, uh, which is... It's about preserving things. Uh, maybe it's not being like the rest of the world. Maybe there are conversations uh, that can happen up here that maybe wouldn't happen in other places anymore. Is that also maybe a little bit part of this place's brand when you talk about fun, being able to laugh at yourself, uh, being able to move on a little bit potentially? I think St. Moritz is certainly a catalyst. Yeah, 
for connecting people. And then there is something very important. I think you come here and you sort of emerge away from daily life. And you have, you know, a week or two weeks or a weekend, yeah, where you really transcend in a world which feels very free. You do some crazy things, some naughty things, some funny things, yeah, you see, you have joy, yeah, which normally you don't meet anywhere, you know, anywhere else. And I mean, today now I came from the Cresta Run, let's say goodbye nearly with a tear in the eye because they have to go back, you know, to the. Uh, to the Alltag, as we say in uh, in German, and uh, it's tough. And you sort of you are in a bubble. Yeah, is it for good or for bad? I think it is for good, and it brings together people, and that is a very important thing in our world. Rolf Sachs, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, wonderful uh, seeing you. I know you've got to zip back up to the sunny bar, yeah. uh, but hopefully we'll catch you later. Okay, thank you, Tyler. Thank you very much. Uh, just uh, 11.31 in uh, London right now. Emma Nelson is there uh, with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. More than 30 people have died after a migrant boat ran aground in southern Italy. The shipwreck took place near Staccato di Cutro, a seaside resort on the eastern coast of Calabria, the region that forms the tip of Italy's boot. Some voters in Nigeria are still queuing to vote a day after the country went to the polls in what's being described as the closest run election in decades. The final result is expected within five days. The European Union's diplomatic service is banning its staff from using the Chinese-owned social media app TikTok. The service says the reasons relate to cybersecurity. The European Commission and EU Council on Thursday told the staff to stop using the app. And a passenger flying in business class on Japan Airlines was given a surprise after stipulating that he was vegan and being given a breakfast of a single banana. The gentleman who was flying between Jakarta and Tokyo admitted it was a really good banana, one of the best he'd eaten. He also said it was sweet of the crew to serve it with chopsticks. Those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler and St. Moritz. Emma, thanks for that. I, I, I'm not sure if I want to be the Japan Airlines uh, PR person this morning or, or not. Um, but anyway, they handled, handled it reasonably well. Emma, if we were looking at um, the, the newspapers uh, this morning uh, in the UK or, or elsewhere, anything else catching your eye, dominating conversation? I know, obviously, uh, we're talking about Northern Ireland uh, and, and Brexit, of course, how that is being sort of packaged in a way, which is quite curious, or are they finishing Brexit, uh, or is this uh, a little bit of an apology? Uh, but uh, but other things that are catching your eye at the moment? Um, well, just looking at the front page of the Sunday Times, it is very much uh, focusing on Brexit, not least because they have done this interview with Rishi Sunak, and he's got this determination to get Brexit's unfinished business done. Um, the rest of the papers are talking an awful lot about how various factions from within this incredibly complicated and sensitive story are are pushing back. We have news this morning that the DUP, who are the the unionists based uh, in the British part of Ireland, um, are saying that this is just going to be unacceptable. They cannot uh, counter anything that will happen um, that will take away any sort of connection and link to to, to Britain. Um, The Observer this morning is uh, just talking about um, lateral flow tests being prepared for UK and outbreaks of avian flu. I don't think we really want to think about that this morning. Um, And it also has a bit of kindness to it as well. Um, There's nearly 40% of Britons have made a donation to Ukraine. There is a sense of a a sort of kindness and and people are not... um, 
really sort of forgetting what's happening in Ukraine. But the thing that's absolutely dominating everybody's conversation at the moment is that we have absolutely no tomatoes here in the United Kingdom. It's it's bonkers. If you go to a supermarket, in a shop, in, in, in London at least, uh, not one supermarket, even you know, from top to bottom, have a tomato. And it's, it's causing quite an awful lot of sort of discussion in the aisles. Apparently, that you know, what is being blamed is bad weather in Morocco or the, the Spanish haven't quite got their, 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 their crops right. right. But everybody's standing there saying, actually, no, it's to do with Brexit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm, as Kiara and I sort of look outside the, the windows here, um, Emma, there's a, there's a lot of private aircraft. I think many private aircraft that will also be flying back to Luton and to Biggin Hill uh, and to Farnborough. So maybe we can um, get people mind? to sort would of go mind? to Migro or Cope and we can do a bit of a uh, an airlift for the UK. A little trolley dash would be most appreciated because I, I can't tell you how serious this has become. I mean, even those ones that look like small bullets and taste dreadful and shouldn't be eaten at this time of year, they are like hen's teeth in the United Kingdom. It's that whole thing. A few weeks ago we had eggs and before that it was flour, but tomatoes really seem to have sort of tipped us over into a slightly odd frenzy. Well, I've got Chiara here who's also nodding as an Italian as well. I mean, this seems sort of unthinkable. Uh, <laughs> that, that, I mean, that Chiara has residency in a country where there are no tomatoes. Listen, let me make myself clear. My father from Turin visited quite recently and he brought with him a stash of sun-dried tomatoes, which he proceeded to put into a little vase for me, oil, preservation. You know, I have a stash. I am prepared for the long winter. Excellent. Well, um, Emma, very good to, uh, to talk to you. Um, I'll, I'll, maybe you can sort of venture out, have a little bit of a tomato safari and uh, see what you come up with. Very much indeed. Very much I'm not indeed. counting on any degree of success. It's exhausting. Uh, Emma Nelson back in London. It's uh, just gone 11.35. Uh, here in St. Moritz, uh, you're listening to a special edition of Monocle uh, on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule, and also uh, Chiara Rimella. Um, I'm still going to, maybe before we get to the end of the show, Chiara, I'm going to ask you uh, to, to maybe sort of give me your top three so you can consider that um, over uh, the coming uh, moments and minutes uh, as well. Uh, but of course, you have uh, been doing uh, the floors uh, above and also below because you're talking about the Nilofar gallery which has uh it's great to see uh, lola's work uh which is which is fantastic and uh it's always great having nilofar here because as you said it's incredible give them an airport uh or give them also yeah a a compact bunker um and they're able to just create an environment which is so inviting and also you want to buy everything as well Yes, definitely. I don't think that the size of the display in this case has been necessarily a sign of whether there was something to pack it with or not. And I think that our next guest might have something to say about it. I've overheard him in the corridors saying that he'd changed the display a couple of times. That's how many things he's brought. You know, he wants to show his wares, and rightly so, because he might have a little tiny space. In fact, um, with his gallery, spaceless gallery, so they shouldn't have space at all. In fact, they do. It's quite small but it's definitely packing a punch. Um, His name is Hugh Finlter and he's joining us um, to talk about uh, these wonderful works that he's brought. They're so delicate and yet so impactful. Um, They are glass sculptures but I'm sure that he can tell us a bit more. Welcome Hugh. Um, Good morning. Can you please give us a bit of an introduction as to what you have brought here to Nomad? Okay, I've brought a group of my works that come from my garden story. I'm coming from Jamaica and um, I grew up in this very beautiful garden with my great-grandmother and she was like the love of my life, you know? 
So when I was with her as a child, I would spend a lot of time with her in a rose garden and with the fruits in the garden and all that was available there for me to play with. So at a certain point in my work, I came up with the idea of dedicating my glass work to her. And um, I started to do my still life photographs, and then I came to a point in my work where I needed a vessel to house my floral compositions. So I said, you know something, living in Italy, I would go to Venice and create my own pieces. And uh, from that, for the last 12 years, I just started to work on my glasswork. And my glasswork now is, is time to get it out there. So San Moritz was like the first place that I really showed my work. It was two years ago, I came up, and uh, I didn't get a chance to be in the Nomad show. But still, Georgia helped me to be a part of something special so that, you know, I could ex- at least express myself here. Uh, and, and Hugh, just maybe t- tell us, so you, as you t- here two years ago, you're here today uh, with this work on, on display. Of course, there's, as we've been saying, discussing across the morning, you know, there's, there's all kinds of platforms, there are all kinds of galleries, exhibitions that you could have chosen for exactly. such a premiere. Yeah, what, I, what, what brought I, I, you up to the I, valley? No, what brought me up to the valley was that I wanted to be a part of this. And uh, I wanted to be a part of being up here because this is the place to be at the moment, based on all the energy of like what's going on with you know, people looking for great things to decorate their houses. So with the group of all the galleries that's here that, like, Nulifar and, you know, Rosanna Orlandi, I was like, okay, I have to be a part of this. And uh, my pieces, they reflect the energy of where I'm working, Venice, Murano. So the glasswork that I'm working with is about 400 years of Venetian glasswork energy with all the masters that I work with, which is about five of them, that they're the top masters of the world, and they come from a dynasty of over 400 years of glassmaking. It's, uh, it's amazing, and I think that um, it, the work clearly means a lot to you. Um, and it means also a lot in the way that it's made. You know, How do you think it's important for art and craft to meet? I think that one of the hallmarks of this event is also this fact that it is very cross-disciplinary, that there is no, no such distinction between art, between design, between craft. The things can merge, they can inform each other. Clearly, your work is also shaped and influenced by the people that you work with. To you, is there such a distinction between art and craft, and what does it mean? mean for you to think about cross-disciplinarity? Cross well, the arts and craft, as an artist, I try to bring forth what's inside of me. And um, I don't really think so much about the design or the art. I just take it out, you know? And what I'm making it just comes purely from inside of me. And can you please tell us a bit what working with these artisans is like? You know, how did you meet them and what kind of personalities are there? What does it feel like to step into the furnace and be in this amazing space that has centuries of tradition? Well, when I first came to Venice, I just got dressed one morning and went there really early because my friend told me that I had to go there really early to find the right people to work with. It was so funny that when I got off the boat... 
there was an old man standing there, and I said to him, you know, I asked him, it's like, who is the man that can give me what I want as an artisan, you know? And he said, go over to this furnace, and I went over there, and it was incredible that they didn't even look at me. I walked into the furnace, and they were just all startled by the idea that here's this guy coming from Jamaica, and he wants to work with us. What does he want from us, you know? And it took me two years to get to the point where I was actually seeing the pieces that I really wanted. Mm-hmm. And now, after 12 years, I'm commanding the market, yeah, commanding Venice Murano with my pieces. And to show them here, it's really, really a joy. And please tell us, what kind of conversations have you had uh, in the corridors? What kind of people are stopping by? Um, where are your collectors? What kind of people do you tend to speak to at an event like this? Well, I could tell you something about last night. I went out last night dancing and through the corridors and through all the people coming to visit my little space downstairs. I just got hugged up and loved up and everybody was like, oh my God, your work is just so amazing, you know? So it gave me such a joy and I was telling my gallerist that, you know, I can't believe that everybody's, you know, embraced me so, you know, because it's not usual for me this. And so does it feel like a difference compared to perhaps other events that you may have attended? And how does it compare and why do you do you prefer it this way? I love it. You know, this this it, it shows me that people are in love with what I'm doing and I'm really happy for this. It's working. Can you please tell us also a bit about the aesthetics of the pieces? Uh, you've talked about the influence and the, I guess, the, the process of making them and also where the idea came from. But if I was to come downstairs now and to look at the, at the space, what kind of works would I be seeing? Okay, you'll be seeing some portraits of friends of mine because I try to incorporate in my work the presence of the people that I love and uh, the people that inspire me. And uh, I try to incorporate some feelings of um, joy because it's playful what I'm doing. You can add to it and push it based on the compositions that you put inside the heads. Flowers is my love and that's it, you know? Uh, and here, just before we go, uh, where does this take you uh, next? Uh, not just when you leave, when you leave the valley, uh, but uh, when we look at obviously the, the schedule coming up uh, across the balance of the year, uh, obviously other shows, great uh, premiere point here. But uh, Yes, I think there's so much coming up because as of next month, I have a um, presentation in New York at Bergdorf Goodman. I have... Uh, a TV show coming out with, they came to Venice to photograph me, to, sorry, to film me, and to showcase my work mode to the American public. So it's, there's a lot coming up on that, you know, on that level. There's a, couple, there's a show coming up with the Brooklyn Museum that I just got information about there yesterday. And uh, Beatrice, she's working on other shows for me around the world. Very good. Uh, Hugh Vidaltar, uh, wonderful having you uh, here this morning uh, at Nomad. It's uh, just gone 11.45 uh, uh, here in Samaritz. You're listening to a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Also, Chiara Mello. The dogs are getting excited, as our listeners can hear in the background. I thought we were going to have a fight there. Uh, um, it could also have been an art exhibition, uh, who knows, or an installation of, of sorts. Uh, but uh, Chiara, just uh, when, we, when we come back, we're going to go for a break in a moment. But when we think about, um, yeah, just 
maybe sort of the, the tempo and the rhythm um, of, of what is what is here, what you've seen uh, so far. It's It's been interesting, this notion of sort of accessibility, because we're talking to um, uh, the journalist uh, Marina Fuchs a little bit earlier, that idea of, of also th- this... This you know, people say Sam Ritz is a bubble, um, and as Hugh was just saying, it's you know, it's kind of the, it's the place to be, uh, but you also have to create also a bridge as well that uh, community, uh, local community, is not also excluded from all of this as well. I think so, and I think that's always the trouble with the, the the fairs that come into town. And I think that there are certain fairs that do it better, and certain that do it um, with less success. I don't think that necessarily the size of the fair indicates how big the impact on the local community. Because, for example, having been to Basel quite a few times, it still feels like a, a, a very commerce-led fair that is speaking very much to a market. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, having been to Milan a lot of times, yes, it's a very important industry moment for the design industry at Salone. But at the same time, the Milanese go crazy for Salone del Mobile. You know, the entire country even comes to Milan and it's so hard to get a room at a hotel because... Um, people just cannot resist the pull of it. And I think it has to do with how you use the surroundings. I think that Fuori Salone was obviously, you know, the prime example of this. But it's really, it keeps flourishing to a point that it's almost become, you know, overwhelming in itself. But I think it really has to do with being visible um, and having those touch points around the city where people can access and then maybe next time they do want to actually even come into the hall. And yes, maybe they won't buy the first time, but it's about making sure that everybody knows that this is going on and that they can be part of it too. Mm. Um, it's, uh, we're going to take a very, very short uh, break. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday. We are back right after this. Start the year right with Global Insights and a subscription to Monocle. You'll receive 10 issues and four special annuals, plus access to our archive and digital editions. More than that, a subscription will keep you informed, entertained, and ahead of the game on everything from global affairs to hospitality and design. Sign up now and get 15% off any annual subscription. Visit monocle.com forward slash subscribe and enter the code radio23. Tune in to Monocle on Culture, where we grill our panel of critics to get the inside line on the best in the world of film, music, art, literature and more. It's just got this synth section that kind of makes you want to swing through the saloon doors straight to the dance floor. I appreciate that some of the most brilliant art, most of it, grounds you in this moment and makes you confront it. With industry insiders and the odd bit of reportage too, it's bound to keep the most discerning of culture vultures very well fed. Why'd You Come In Here Looking Like That is a song that is absolutely going to make you want to put on a pair of tight jeans and go boot scooting, even if it's just in (laughs) your front room. Monocle on Culture, premiering Mondays at 20.00 London time here on Monocle 24 and available thereafter wherever you get your podcasts. You are back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. I'm also here with my colleague, uh, Chiara Rimella, as well. And we've been talking uh, across the morning. Uh, we're here uh, in the lobby at the foyer of the uh, semi-soon-to-be-opened uh, Grace Hotel uh, for Nomad, the sixth edition of Nomad. Um, so I am going to put you on the spot, but you've had 
a good hour and 49 minutes to think about this now. Um, as you've been through the space, Chiara, what's what stood out uh, for you? What have, what have you enjoyed the most? Well, there is some works that we haven't actually discussed yet, which actually are very visible as you walk through Nomad, and they are astonishingly good. And I'm talking about the Calder textiles, which are on the walls as you go upstairs and through the corridor. Um, this is, um, they're um, brought by a London gallery, actually. So they're quite close to, they're, they're um, neighbours of ours back in London. But they are, are astonishingly good. They are uh, made of rattan and works that Caldera worked with, with artisans in Guatemala. And they have his forms and his shapes, but they feel also almost freer than usual, yet they're so playful. And I feel like they are exactly that marriage of form, of art, of artisanship, of design that this, this whole fair is about. So I commend the decision to put them front and centre. Yeah, and I think what's also great about having these, these calders in the space, too, is that uh, you know, this is uh, a hotel listeners, which is, it's a work in progress. Uh, there's wiring, there's all kinds of, you know, it, it, things which really suggest that not complete. And what's great, though, is that this also, I mean, really provides uh, yeah, a bit of a sort of a narrative thread uh, as well. It's, it's created something as you go down the corridors, which also defines um, the space. Okay, so you're Calders, you, you, it's okay. You'd like some calders. What else? What else stood out for you? Well, I have to say, obviously, we spoke to Rolf Sachs here on the program, but there is one work that he didn't refer to, which actually was my favourite from his presentation. which was this chair that had very low seating, and then this massive bit of granite on top, and I think it just encapsulates that idea of just the the, the funny, surreal aspect of it, the fact that. Is it a functional object? Is it not a functional object? Does it even matter if it is or it isn't? Where are you going to put it? How are you going to get it there? Because I suppose it weighs like a ton, maybe not a strict ton. Um, but I think that it's just so such and then again like another great example of how you can merge these things together he's obviously got you know he's a polymath of many talents and he's bringing all of these here and um, maybe I can ask for friends and family discount yeah maybe a friends and family (laughs) discount could be possible Um, just before we go um, as we as we as we wrap up wanted to bring back uh, Giorgio Pace uh, one of the co-founders of uh, of the event and I'm not sure if if you're allowed to to pick favorites um, as well. But anyway, thank you uh, for, for, and I'm not sure whose creative direction it was to, to get the, the Alexander Calders in, in the hallways. Uh, what stood out for you actually uh, this year? Um, well, I shouldn't say, but <clears throat> of course everything that we chose has a sense and makes sense in this space. Um, I mean, James Brett, the, the owner <clears throat> of uh, Gallery of Everything, showed me this last um, uh, autumn and I said this is perfect for the corridor and for the entrance all of the of the grey so finally I convinced him because it's not easy to work with James even if we love him um, <clears throat> and in fact he thanks me because he said I was right yeah I mean I like a lot of things I like uh, I like the artichokes from Lola I like uh, of course this amazing tapestry from uh, Sharon Sherpa the artist from Nepal uh, that uh, we selected together with Cherie for the Gucci Nomad uh, project. 
um, which will continue also in Milan, in Capri, in uh, Dubai. Um, and also, I mean, lots of galleries actually made a lot of effort to bring the best of their selections. Mm. Just uh, earlier, when we were talking to you at the start of the program, uh, Giorgio, you, you threw out um, a variety of cities, regions, where you would like to, to go next. How much of it is your desire to go somewhere versus now that you've, you, know, you have a brand, you've created something which is a draw, uh, that it's also people trying to pull you uh, as well and saying, please come to Seoul, uh, do something in Kyoto, whatever, wherever it may be. Well, I have to go where I can manage to organize it and mostly to find the right location. So, so far, it's very easy for me to be in Europe. Um, eventually, one day, I will, uh, I will have a partner who helped me to go uh, in America or in Asia or in the Middle East. And please tell us a bit, you know, you mentioned how you work with different gallerists, but please tell us a bit of the, kind of the behind the scenes of all of this. How did you approach the gallerists? How did you choose them? Did they come to you? And what kind of conversations do you have together to make sure that the end result is what we're seeing right now? So we have some galleries that we like to have. Um, some other galleries approach us and they have to send a project. Every project is uh, analyzed between me and Nicola and also by, we have a sentiment committee that we don't really have to sit together but one on one sometimes we call them and we meet with them and we say you know this is what the gallery proposes what do you think this is a special project or sometimes they propose us the committee proposes as well so you know it's a very kind of easy pro, uh, pro uh, to say um, way of selection but we also uh, have a limited space so you know we only have 30 rooms so we cannot really give uh, to, I mean we have much more gallery interested but we need to kind of stick to the 30 rooms that we have uh, and uh, just to maybe before we go Giorgio how much of it sometimes something is presented it's 70 percent there uh, and then you have to massage it uh, yes to get yes. it the, yeah. to make it the nomad touch yeah I sometimes you know the galleries bring much more and then of course they have to do their own selection depending on the space on the light and what they can hang what they cannot hang you know sometimes we have these restrictions in places even like at grace yeah and what kind of directives do you give to them? You know, if you had to summarize for us the, the pitch or at least, the, you know, the document that I would get in the post if I was showing, what are the rules? What can I bring? What can I not bring? And what should I bring? Well, this year actually is the first time that we decided to give a specific uh, direction that because Nomad this year want to show a sustainable uh, project. So we invite galleries and to bring something sustainable. So I, I must say that a lot of them made a lot of effort to bring those specific pieces. But they're kind of free to choose whatever they like. Of course, I would imagine in a place like St. Morris, they would choose something more adapt to uh, mountain uh, houses. So maybe in Capri, they will choose something more for the summer. Giorgio Pace, uh, co-founder of Nomad. Wonderful. Thank you very much uh, for having us here. It's been Thank an absolute uh, delight and uh, wishing you a very uh, good afternoon and also uh, getting uh, Capri underway and also venue uh, for Nomad up in the Engadine uh, next year uh, as well. Chiara, we're almost at the end of the program. Um, our Emma Nelson is standing by in London. And, uh, Emma, what's uh, coming up for the rest of the day? continue the artistic and cultural theme and we keep it rather elegant as well as we have been for the last couple of hours on Monocle on Sunday. Um, 
in a little while, we'll be uh, enjoying Robert Bound and the latest episode of Monocle on Culture, stepping out from buildings and exploring uh, the creative and commercial genius of 1970s street art in New York. We'll be hearing from the historian um, and creator of a new exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery, Roger Gastman. And then after that, we keep it cultural as ever with uh, Meet the Writers. We'll be hearing from uh, Oksana Zabushko, who's one of Ukraine's most acclaimed contemporary writers. Uh, we'll be talking about identity in uh, in uh, in Ukraine and life in exile during the war. She'll be talking to Georgina Godwin. And then, Chiari, you'll be familiar with this, we'll be talking uh, about wonderful things like Finnish sauna diplomacy and beautiful winter flowers in Confect Corner. So it's a, it's a nice Sunday listen, I'd say. Say. I think that sounds absolutely delightful. And Emma Nelson, you'll be uh, doing Globalists or you'll be doing briefings across the week? I'm doing the Globalists tomorrow. So we will be looking at what's happening in uh, Nigeria in the elections if actually everybody gets to vote. I think that's one of the big problems as well. And we'll be setting the tone for the week with the newspapers too. Very good. Uh, our Emma Nelson uh, back in London. Uh, of course, what we have across the day uh, here on Monocle uh, 24. Uh, that's all the time we have for Kiara. Great uh, having you here. Absolute delight. Uh, you've probably got a bit more work to do as well today. Well, we're hopping back on the red train and back to London because uh, we've got Confect sent to print soon. So I'm back with Sophie to put the finishing touches to the pages and then that's it. Not to mention also the April edition of Monocle uh, as well. Minor. Uh, any, for our listeners uh, who might be coming up to the Engadine today, wherever you are. Uh, we also have our pop-up um, in Samaritz uh, as well, probably the, the, the tiniest uh, monocle shop anywhere in the world. Today's program was produced by Desiree Bandley, Tom Webb, and also Emma Nelson back in London. Our studio manager also in London was Nora Hall. I'm Tyler Brule. I'm Chiara Rimella. Have a very, very good Sunday. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.